Welcome to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered with Perry Clark. This program looks at mental health from unique perspectives and shows you how to manage your life by finding the knots that help you and stay away from the ones that could be a disadvantage. Now, here is your host, Perry Clark. Hello, all. Welcome back to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist here just to remind you, as we always do, that this podcast is for education and, and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute working with a licensed mental health professional, and I do strongly suggest you find one in your area. And if there's we're not in your immediate area, do keep in mind that we can do this virtually as long as we're licensed in your state. So today's uh, podcast is was actually suggested to me by one of our other podcasts, Regina Ferferden, who you're going to hear in October. Uh, and if you're listening to this, you probably have already heard the episode. But they recommended this individual who, as it turns out, I had already also bought one of their books and uh, managed to start reading on that. And they also came out with a science fiction book, too. So I had to get my hands on that one as well. So today we're going to be talking with David Archer. So David Archer is, let me pull that information right there again. Uh, he is a master's of social work and an MFT and is an anti-racist therapist from Montreal, Canada, um, in the unsucceeded lands of Joe Chikai. Joe Jage. Okay, Joe Chikai. Joe Jage. Uh, he provides mental health services and regular conduct regularly conducts work workshop presentations. He has delivered plenary and keynote speeches and authored books on race, identity, and mental health. Informed by mindfulness, memory recon reconsolidation, and critical race theory, Archer uses EMDR therapy and is the developer of the rhythm and processing framework. He specializes in treating complex PTSD and racial trauma and is dedicated to the increasing number of black therapists and this therapists from all backgrounds. Archer is a ally of LGBTQ, black, indigenous, and oppressed communities worldwide. So, David, welcome to Untying Knots. Thank you. And uh, thank you for, for having me. I'm looking forward to the discussion. As am I. Uh, so where did so how did you get started in all of this? Um, well, uh, I think. Well, the, <laughs> so I uh, there's so many answers that I can give there. First is what mm -hmm. I can say is that um, sometimes people are like, "Well, you're in Montreal, Canada. Why is it that you're the author of anti-racist psychotherapy?" You know, uh, many people. Uh, can't really locate where Montreal is on a map, or they just think that Canada is just full of snow all the time and that there's only igloos and I guess snowmen. But uh, no, apparently we do have humans. We do have people um, who uh, who live, who breathe, and I am one of them. And so, well, I'm just showing an example of, our, of the geography lessons failing. <laughs> yes, well, I mean, we can also discuss about how the educational system needs some improvement, generally mm. speaking. Um, but I emerged out of a context where when I was younger in Quebec, there the province was trying to separate from the rest of the country. So it's trying mm -hmm. to separate from Canada. And 
there was a lot of an emphasis on whether a person was English or whether they were French. And also, and I'm glad that even though you attempted to pronounce it, uh, I think it's important for us to be able to to know that the name of the place that I'm from is uh, was called Jojage uh, by the original Adonisoni people, the indigenous people of this land. And at that time when there was discussions about language, there was also discussions relating to something called the Oka crisis, where the provincial and also federal government to some degree were in conflict with the indigenous people of this land, trying to take more land than they necessary than they should have been able to take, which is what mm -hmm. led to almost a standoff. And in some cases there was uh there were uh, confrontations. So I was raised in an environment where I was aware of my language as being separate or different from the majority. I was aware of me being non-Indigenous. I was also being aware of my Blackness. And navigating all of these things from a young age, it made it so that I needed to be uh, just knowledgeable about what race and what identity was. And I think that, that those initial... Uh, experiences set the framework or set in motion the possibility of me being anti-racist from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And as I was trained, and as you're an MFT as well, it's like I, I had a bachelor's in psychology, and in psychology I felt as if there was little to no mention of race, and when they would talk about race, it was usually in comparison to white people or mm -hmm. in a deficient way. And I usually talk about how I took my sensation and perception class and they're talking about the retina. They're talking about the brain and all of this thing. And then they're like, by the way, black people have worse vision than white people. And I was like, oh no, the only reference that I'll see anytime they mention black is always negative. Or when I was in my high school, the readings that they would give us um, mm -hmm. They would give us readings from like the early 20th century. And for some reason, every author wanted to just drop the N-bomb. And I was like, why is it that <laughs> that we're needing to bring in race in this manner that's either making a person deficient or that it's attacking them? And so I endeavored to try to find out. I went mm -hmm. to, I did my master's in social work, my master's in uh, marriage and family therapy. And I started to see that there was not only the presence of systemic racism, which is what uh, uh, my social work masters gave me that language to understand, but it was my MFT that gave me the understanding of functions for all forms of communication. And after what happened with uh, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, mm -hmm. and the continued attacks that are on uh, Black people, we know that there was this recent one in uh, Jacksonville, we know yes. even last year there was a high profile one in uh, Buffalo, New York. It's just, I really wanted to understand now that I understood there was a function for this, how is it that I can help my people? How is it that we can all together come together to eliminate this problem of racism? And how can we become better and more effective psychotherapists, regardless of your race, background, or identity? Even this morning, I had a client call me, and they were referred to me because they had a white therapist, and the white therapist said that uh, they felt that the client needed to speak to a person of color because the white therapist felt as if they were ill-equipped to help this person. It makes me think, 
how many times does it happen that a referral is being made or that we are not meeting the needs of our clients because we are ill-equipped to help people with this basic idea? Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you said, you've read the book, and I'm really grateful. I'm glad that you uh, that you're reading uh, anti-racist psychotherapy. But when I talk about anti-racism, I speak to white audiences. I speak to black audiences. Uh, black audiences, I think, are more likely to understand race from their perspective because it's less unconscious. But I think one one of the problems is that with many white people is that they forgot that they have a race. I mean, is that is that uh, whiteness is so? Um, I want to say it's ubiquitous. I feel that it's you see it everywhere, mm-hmm. and so white people believe then that their race is the default. So, because many white therapists have not necessarily had to contend with the idea of what whiteness means for them, sometimes they feel as if it's difficult for them to be able to speak about what the race of the client means for the client as well. And so my work, as you mentioned, it is to increase the amount of black therapists that are out there because they're in terms of being a black approved EMDR consultant, I'm the only male one that I know in my country mm-hmm. and that needs to change. And, but I know that we can't do it by ourselves. I know that the problem of racism was not created by black people. It's a problem that exists within the concept of whiteness. So that's why we need white black asian indigenous we need all therapists to commit to being anti-racist so that we can uh also solve the problems that are affecting uh the global majority of individuals in the world mm-hmm. and even to that end what you're saying about the aspect of referrals how many times do we not have people making referrals because they didn't even recognize that too and exactly. at which point the client's also still getting harm or not getting the degree of work that they actually need to be able to move forward yeah and let me say also as uh speaking from to mft to mft across the the border and all this mm-hmm. is that um i recently had a couple that they met with me in the area in the bc area uh bc era so before covid okay so they right. met me in real life now i just work virtually uh they met with me and they stopped meeting with me because of the pandemic, all of these other things. And then eventually they met with a couple therapists, uh, and this is in the city and they stopped meeting with that therapist. Uh, well, just another aspect is that they were, they were, um, a multicultural couple and multilingual mm-hmm. couple. So one of the members yeah. of the relationship was Spanish, was a Spanish speaker. So, they stopped meeting with that therapist because even though the therapist could speak the same language as one uh, a mem- one of the members of the couple, that therapist could not speak about racial elements and could not speak about culture. So to some degree, they're more willing to meet with me, even mm-hmm. though I don't share the same mother tongue as one of the, the, uh, the partners. So what does that mean? It means that there's a deep, I feel that there's a deeper level of understanding that can come about if we are able to speak about the person's full experience, regardless of uh, the words that we are using. So mm-hmm. um, I'm also, again, this is still answering your first question, just letting you know, I give long answers. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so 
I'm also not a talk therapist. I don't identify as being a specific talk therapist. I believe that some of the problems that people have are not solved or are difficult to solve by just speaking to the parts of our brain that are going to formulate language. I think that Mm -hmm. as a person who specializes in treating complex post-traumatic stress disorder, as well as complex racial trauma, we need to involve the limbic system. We need to involve Mm -hmm. the creative aspects of the person's mind. And so because the therapy is not just about acting on a person, it's also about who I am as a therapist, I endeavor to also teach these skills to other therapists as well. So to awaken these creative potentials within our clients by awakening them within the therapist and ultimately uh, changing, uh, getting to a new paradigm of how psychotherapy can be. Very true. Oh, yeah, because and as I often say with clients, our first language is not the spoken word. Our first Mm -hmm. language is emotion. You got it. Getting into that, um, what's going on with that emotion, because we make, as we've learned in our studies, is that we make meaning after we've gotten the emotion. There we go. There we so go. what's the emotion that's going on here, first and foremost? I uh, thought I was just remembering something from uh, 2016, where someone was saying, it's like, it isn't logical what they're doing. And I said, okay, yeah, it's not logical. And when it stops being logical, now you got to start looking at it emotionally. That's it. That's it. And then it actually starts making more sense. What's the emotion that is driving this experience? 100%. I feel that um, what makes us get stuck and what makes it so that uh, not just the client, sometimes a therapist as well, is when we try to think in terms of logic, as if uh, logic is an objective thing, Um, Mm -hmm. but it's not. Uh, In fact, I tell my clients, you may think it's logical, but it's psychological. So uh, I feel that there's always an explanation when we di- when we dive deep enough into understanding what's going on. And I think that some of the Western uh, concepts or the, the Western ideas that we learn in our field, uh, that they can kind of limit us and it kind of prevents us from being able to, to dive into the full depth of who people are. For example, um, the Western concept of time is a little different from the Afrocentric perspective perspective of time and since you said that you were up to uh, chapter six in my book i hope this isn't a spoiler but uh what happens is that the afrocentric perspective of time is that time can be cyclical mm-hmm. and the way how uh i see it when we are working with relational systems is that if you look at the individual in isolation you're missing a lot of the pro- uh a lot of the the solution to the issue when we start to use the genogram we start to see that their parents sometimes have passed down legacies to them. When we start oh, wow. to use the genogram and we see the grandparents, we can see that even the grandparents to some degree may have passed down certain responsibilities relating to, or um, not responsibilities, but legacies relating to gender roles, relating to what mm-hmm. it means to be a man, what it means to be a good woman or a good person. And the client Many times, if it is unconscious to them or even pre-conscious and the therapist is not willing or even unable due to skill, due to their own counter-transference, 
if they're unable to open up the possibility of us looking towards the past, then we are unable to make the best types of changes in the present. Well, yeah, so, well those ghosts, yeah. those ghosts of the past are still whispering in your ear. You got it. You got it. And so that's why I feel that um, we need to at least know about trauma. We need to at least know about injuries that have happened in the past if you're going to help people in the present so that we can be the ghostbusters that we need to be. Or even if it's not Ghostbusters, I think it's really that we can, uh, to some degree, to lay some of those ancestors to rest as well, so that we mm -hmm. are re reproducing the suffering that has happened to them, and we can help them to heal and then help us to heal as well. Which is part of the secular and secular nature, but equally, even going into the Afrocentric idea, depending on what portion of Afri we're talking about, the idea of the reincarnated family yes member standpoint and how that is creating uh, an environment that is ideally better for the person to come back in and heal and resolve that trauma in this next iteration of the incarnation that's beautiful but one of the things i know and i've noticed in your work and i've noticed in a number of other ones is also the aspect of the issue of people or the relationship with accountability Mm -hmm. or, the, or, or more importantly, the lack of accountability or the fear of accountability and how much accountability has been used much more punitively as opposed to as a form of love, which then also brings up how do you normalize the idea that accountability is actually a practice of love too. Mm. And what question do you have specifically for me? Would you like for me to uh, I would so much say it's a uh, it's a, a specific question, but it's the one that I've I've noticed that it's okay. It's between the lines in so many of the different materials I've read, and I know I think it was chapter five. You're very much talking about the aspect of people's responses to accountability. Okay, so I'm going to need to check in my book. I haven't read that book in a while. Chapter five. Which one is that? Which I chapter? think it's chapter five. Um, <laughs> I've read I've, since since um because let me just say that's my first book my second book and third book um first book is anti-racist psychotherapy second mm -hmm. one is black meditation the third one is racial trauma recovery and the fourth one is my science fiction novel which is black oh you got the whole collection yeah you got so the whole have, library perry perry mr clark bought all four mr Cl okay thank i appreciate your support i appreciate your support so yeah exactly. so because I've written so much, I don't know what chapter that is. But what I can I, say is that if if we speak about um, white supremacy, which I believe uh, is maybe the fourth or fifth for that for that mm -hmm. book, um, I've I've recently started to say instead of white supremacy, I'll say white insecurity, because mm -hmm. um, there's something about the power structure that if you need to have a power structure that needs to be supreme at all times, then it's insecure. It means it doesn't feel safe. It means that it mm. needs to enact violence in order to maintain itself. Otherwise, something bad will happen. And mm. sometimes when we see the profiles of these uh, the people that have committed violence due to race, racial animus, or hatred towards Black people, they don't always seem confident. I mean, mm. I can't judge a person from their physical, uh, from, the, from like their mugshot or anything like that. 
I mean, there's a lot of talk of mud shots because I think your ex-president recently. Anyways, just, yeah, well, <laughs> I guess I'll save the ball. But, but, uh, <laughs> but even to that point, what um during the minute stuff in Minnesota, the teenager who got himself a gun and managed and sadly killed two people. Yeah, his response was there was an uh, there was just that under. That response, even though he wasn't saying it, it was between the lines that he expected to be still considered a hero for what he did. And when he didn't get the heroic response, and even the response to the fact that what who he killed weren't black people but were white people, it totally shattered that sense of whatever security he was having. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's because um I feel it's it's a little bit of a game that unfortunately we're all wrapped up in this idea mm-hmm. of race. And even though I've written uh, extensively on race, uh, race is fictional. So uh, we've actually never seen white people before. Um, I think of a person's skin complexion is white, like the bowl on my desk or something. I think they have a medical issue. I think that <laughs> I think if you're mm-hmm. if you're white and if you're specifically black. I, like these things don't actually exist. It's just that uh, we create them. And I think that when you're talking about this individual, it's that they bought into the idea of whiteness, uh, that uh, they bought into the idea that white is supposed to be supreme. And to some degree that white cannot be held accountable for its actions. Mm-hmm. The only people who do bad things are black or the only, the only people like um, in the book, I do talk about, the um the binary complex trauma cycle it's not listed as that in that book it's listed Mm -hmm. as that in black meditation but it's the idea that on one side you're going to get white insecurity slash supremacy on the other side you will get black suffering and what oftentimes will happen is that whiteness will dissociate itself from its trauma or from its suffering or from accountability to some degree Mm -hmm. And through a process that's called soul murder, so intense violence, oftentimes what uh, narcissistic abusers will do towards their victims to damage the soul and the spirit of the individual, they can project the negative traits of themselves into another body so that they don't have to deal with it within themselves. And that is the reason why Black people oftentimes become the face of slavery or the, the face of suffering, we don't always think about who were the white enslavers, the people who did the crime. We will focus on the victim and oftentimes mm-hmm. present the suffering in terms of that it's black people that are bad or black people that are worth uh, or not uh, worth, but black people who are worthless, despite the fact they generated the worth of the United States and Canada mm-hmm. and all of these things. And so the problem of that cycle is when the black person believes oh. that they are black or they are somebody's black instead of believing that they are their own because then that validates the idea of white supremacy if you believe that you're bad because you are black then the white person then has delegitimized you and then it becomes easier to cause further harm to you the reason jumping back the reason why i'm saying that these are fake concepts is because um whiteness and blackness in this example can also be generalized towards male dominance and female submission mm-hmm. also be generalized towards or uh uh you can also put it towards 
straight violence, like hetero, uh, the hetero patriarchy towards gay individuals, LGBTQ, trans individuals, etc. So these, and I would actually social... also add to that too, neurodiverse to neurotypical, yes. neurotypical. Yes. Exactly, exactly. Which is almost, and these are things that I'm still learning. Like I'm, I've written these books, but I'm still learning about all the ways how ableism. Uh, is part of our shields and part of our education system, mm. et cetera. But it's really, it's key just to know that uh, white whiteness changes depending on the country you're in. Blackness changes depending on where you're, where you're at. Me being a man, if I go to certain countries, the idea of a real man is a guy who has a pickup truck or something, or, or like a guy with, you know, I mean, I have a goatee. I was going to say a large beard. But that, but I hope you get the idea. Is that? Oh yeah. Or in some cases, the idea that you have how many children? Exactly. Exactly. Only a real man or a real woman in some cases too. Only a mm. real woman is going to have children, and so that's why we say it's socially constructed because it's nonsense. We say it's socially constructed because depending on your context, it changes. But if we give it value. If we keep repeating the same belief about it, it becomes real. And if everyone agrees on the belief, then it's a, a form of collective mental illness that's based on trauma, which is the whole mm -hmm. basis of anti-racist psychotherapy. And it's that if there are people who are traumatized based on race and based on these social construction issues, we can use EMDR therapy to help them. But what I'm trying to do is to help enough people so that we can start to develop the same technology so that we eliminate the sickness that exists in our society uh, in in the same, in a similar vein. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's also that interesting flip of the idea that instead of saying, uh, for so long saying that we are the ones who are pathologically ill, what does it mean when it gets flipped over to the white supremacy or someone say the global minority uh, aspect of no you're actually the ill ones yeah well and even and, and i want to make sure that people understand as well is that um it's not even who it's more what because mm -hmm. white because the white people many of the white people who think they're white are not white Okay, is that uh, there's a psychological, I, I forget who, who termed it, so I won't misquote it. I don't know if it's Carter G. Woodson or W.B. Du Bois, but it was that there's a psychological wage and a psychological benefit that poor white people get by identifying mm -hmm. being white. But the rich, pe rich white people do not care about the lives of poor white people, but they can use them as a shield to fight for their interest. Yeah, and well, so, yeah, it's that classic saying, it's better to be poor white trash than black. And that's yeah, black exactly. at every social economic level. Yes. And so um, I think that one day I believe that the day will come when these poor white people, which I think, you know, people like Fred Hampton were trying to mm. get white people to understand, Ma Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, all of them were trying to get all people to understand that we all outnumber the racists. And the racists are the same people who to some degree believe that it's worthwhile to drill into the earth to sacrifice the future as well. Because that's, well, that's with it's even worse than a racist. It's a speciesist. It's a person who doesn't like humans and doesn't like 
uh, the continued uh, future, which is we're going to be talking about my next book. But that's kind of what. Yeah. Well, I think that's probably the place where we can make the segues for taking a break. But I I could also say that there are certain ways that there's I'm going to say religious programming in that, too. Look that as opposed to spiritual programming, I think it's more race, religions, religious programming that fits into that. But you know, let's save that for the next section. And I well, think that's what I was going to say. Work. We could have a thousand episodes right now, man. <laughs> like, <there's> so <laughs> oh <much> yeah, <laughs> so much to explore in that, and that's also one of the beauties of science fiction. So most of what yes. we've been talking about in this first half is anti-racist psychotherapy. Yes. So we're going to take a pause there and we're going to come back for the second half. Where we're going to go talk about the science fiction and fantasy area of this next. So or Afrofuturism next. Either yes. way, we're coming back in, in this next section. So stay tuned, folks. We'll back, be back shortly. Fantastic. So, I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist, here with David Archer, master social worker and licensed marriage and family therapist as well. So stay tuned, folks. We'll be back in a second. See what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our lives and the world around us can get messy and frustrating. Untangle and Grow Counseling's focus is to untangle that mess and make sense of it so you have a good foundation to build and grow from. Visit us on the web at untangleandgrowcounseling.com. Perry Clark offers individual psychotherapy, couples and family therapy, and adolescence therapy from a variety of coping materials and resources. Visit untangleandgrowcounseling.com for more information. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. You are listening to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. If you have a question or comment about our podcast, send an email to pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. That's pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. And now, back to the program. Hello, all. Welcome back to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist here with David Archer, master social worker and marriage and family therapist, and also author. Yes. Since uh, we, we were talking about in the first half is 
first book uh, of his four, which was Anti-Racist Psychotherapy. And you have the other two books, which are Racial Trauma Recovery with Healing Our Past Using Rhythm and Processing. processing. And then also Black Meditations, 10 Practices for Self-Care, Mindfulness, and Self-Determination. And then you have your fourth book, which kind of breaks with this... (laughs) these first three which is called black yes. mountain fight for the future and this one falls more in the science fiction fantasy afrofuturism category yes and uh just to read the back blurb here uh black mountain fight for the future in a world on the brink of destruction threatened by artificial intelligence climate change and corporate greed only one group of fighters can rise up and lead the revolution Go forth, Black Mountain, fight for the future. Black Mountain is an Afrofuturism, anime-inspired and science fiction novel for that transports readers into a future where a powerful ruler, Fateus, and I should also, and I am dyslexic, so phoneme pronunciation, I struggle with that. But it's okay. Uh, Nobody knows how to pronounce that. That's fine. Fateus, Fateus. Uh, threatens the very fabric of existence. Join Firearm Black Blob as they become the newest recruits to a group of freedom fighters led by Zodacon and Anoroticon. Together, they face life or death struggles, heal from their trauma, and defeat the global oppressor by harnessing the elemental forces of the planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is this is the fourth and um actually i feel i'm still answering your first question so i'm going to go back to answering your your first question because you asked me how did i get here mm-hmm. um before being a psychotherapist i was a software engineer and uh as a software engineer i was very interested in how do we solve complex problems using lines mm. of code and I, I was always interested back then too in, in video games. And I was interested in how um I, I just preferred even uh when I was in high school, there'd be those books where there'd be like choose your own adventure types of books. Mm-hmm. And I liked I liked the idea that you read a book and it's like there's options. It's like you could take the left turn or take the right turn. And you take the left turn and then it's like the end because you you, you like fell off a cliff or something. And then I'd always go back and be like, no, 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 okay, I'm going to take the right turn. And I was always interested in how Choose Your Own Adventure books were very different from the standard book in that it didn't follow a linear progression. You didn't start from mm-hmm. the beginning of the book and, and then uh, move your way to the to the end. So I was always interested in alternative ways of of uh, using media and and learning from it, and also that's what made me very interested in in uh, video games as well. Is that I like the idea that I was watching a movie and controlling the character, and my mm. actions could determine what it is that takes place. And I didn't even tell you about my hip hop. Uh, I used to, well, I'm still an MC. Uh, I'm like, I'm still an artist. And I think I was an artist before all of these things. And that's the reason why I, I like that choose your own adventure style of, you know, the way how we're going to read this book is a little different. So the way how I did computer programming is a little different. And the way oh. how I how I am a psychotherapist is also a little different as well. Uh, I wanted to quickly mention that for racial trauma recovery, the reason why I wrote that book is because 
even though I am a person who does brain spotting, EMDR therapy, I've used emotional freedom technique, um, again, relational systems, all of this. I felt that in the models I was using, sometimes after you would be trained, you would need an extra training in order to be able to work with uh, Black people or <laughs> people of color or even complex PTSD presentations that the standard training Sometimes it was good because you need the standard training in order to do these things, but then you need an extra training in order to do it with the people that are suffering the most. So that's the reason why I developed rhythm and processing so that at the outset, it's talking about race at the outset, it's talking about complex PTSD and it tunes into the unlimited creativity that's in every single one of our clients. So as I was writing it and as I was developing it, um, if I can just quickly just say, um, yeah. when people are traumatized, oftentimes it's it implicates the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, the HPA axis, which is our stress response system, and which involves the release of cortisol. When people are stressed beyond what they can handle, and when the stress happens at key developmental periods, then they will often become traumatized in a way that's different from other forms of mental health stresses. And when people pass those thresholds continually, continually, then they start to some degree to make an association between these events and their present situation to the way that it, it changes their way, how they see themselves. So in a way, the way how they see themselves, the way how they visualize is different from the person who's non-traumatized. So that's why rhythm and processing takes that into account and it uses the adaptive nature of our ability to visualize or to see things that make us feel good so that we can provide overturning information and make it so that when the brain is expecting to feel suffering, instead, it's going to feel completely awesome. When the mind is expecting that it's going to access something that is too scary, instead, it can feel very confident. And so in the sessions, I'm happy to say, true to my hip hop roots, even last week, I was helping someone to heal from longstanding trauma by using gospel music. It's an, mm. it's regular, like it's a regular occurrence that people will use hip hop music or even anime or even visual. I, I've even had people watch videos on YouTube of people playing video games that they love to be able to provide that disconfirming evidence and that disconfirming knowledge. And that's what forms the basis of memory reconsolidation. When we are able to provide these disconfirming events, when we do things that are different from what the brain expects, we get a different response and, and we have an opportunity to update the way how the memory has been stored. So when a person is asking me, why are you writing a science fiction novel? It's because we got to do this thing different. If we want to make it so that more people are interested in psychotherapy, we can't only be at the conferences. We have to be with the people. That's why I appreciate and love to do these types of podcasts, because I feel that if I'm only to just publish in journals, I won't be able to reach the people who eventually might want to be therapists. And in a similar vein with Black Mountain, is that it's a science fiction novel that has some appeal for young adults, that has some appeal for people who like anime, has some appeal for people who like um, uh, just like coming of age novels. But it's also, strangely enough, it follows the canon of the three previous books. So it incorporates the ideas of anti-racist psychotherapy, black meditation is explicitly named, and the rhythm and processing technique 
is done, but it's done in a futuristic sp- uh, spaceship. So it's, it's done in a different way, but the principles are still there. And it was a joy for me to write this because I felt like um, I was writing uh, a book that would make the 16-year-old version of myself happy. The, the, the teenager self, part of myself, that wanted to understand what race was about, but wanted to also be able to just be a kid and just have fun, mm-hmm. appreciate things. And so uh, that's that's why whenever I talk about this book, I smile. I feel good because I feel it's it's designed to be different and it's and it falls into that mission of increasing interest in our field and making people think about mental health different. Well, that also brings back to the one of the points we talked about earlier about the aspect of, and as I've often said, is nothing happens in isolation. Yes. Everything is still in connection to something else. And the healing can, it's going to have uh, need to be in connection to other things. Now that does not mean that containment isn't also necessary, mm-hmm. but that process is, is definitely needed there. And I know uh, one of the things I, when I spoke with Tanana Ridu, uh was the aspect of, I mean, even with my joy of Afrofuturism, I didn't always feel like they were talking about Afrofuturism in the relationship of mental health. Now, mm. now that I consider it, it's like, oh, was I still looking for it to have the obvious sign that this was mental health as opposed to it was always in there and in amongst in relationship to everything else. So a book that actually then going into when I read your book, going in knowing that it's there, it's probably going to have a very different experience for me compared to if I was reading any of the others. And it's like, but where's the mental health? Where's the, oh, wait a minute. It's, okay, it's there. Yes. I'm just looking for a different, I'm looking too much for this sign when I need to be looking for something else. Yes. So I do hope that, uh, that you appreciate uh, in this book is that it's like, I feel and I have to be careful because this is a fiction book, so I don't want to mm. give spoilers. You know, I, I said well, this. To respect many spoilers. People. Yeah, <laughs> but I said this to many people. I'm like, in my other books, I start off with racism and I end with racism, so you know what's going to happen in the book. You know, I'm, I'm going to tell you about racism, but in this book, um, it, it's that I intentionally made it that it has nothing to do with humans, actually. Mm-hmm. So this is after Earth is destroyed. This is many, many years in the future. And I wanted to uh, do that just so that I can make something that is so science fiction-y, but mm-hmm. actually still relating to what we experience as humans. And um, although it's not like there is like trauma processing that's in there, it's not, there's no therapist in the, in the book. And I did that intentionally as well, because I believe that um, we were talking about time being cyclical. And I think that before there was a specific therapist that a person would go to meet, they would probably be helped by the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm the, I forgot to say in my bio, but I, I'm also a father and my son is uh, one year old and a month now. And I noticed that uh, his only way of communicating is by uh, by screaming when he needs help or yelling, you know, crying, you know, and sometimes just picking him up is all that he needs. And that's, I really think that that's not a therapist move. That's just the human 
move or that's just mm. like a, a way of relating to someone that's more vulnerable that when people are stronger it's it's natural for them to try to help and protect uh those who are who, who need it and so that's why in the book i didn't want to make it that anyone is seen as a therapist or anyone is seen as a client and to some degree just like in my own practice sometimes when the healing when the context of the healing is that the the client is bringing their strengths to gain their insights without the intervention of the therapist it's not always clear who the therapist or who the client is because if the client is the one who's bringing the insight or the wisdom what's what's happening in that situation uh, and i do that intentionally because as an anti-racist in our therapy processes the way how we're taught it's like by default there's this hierarchy of saying the therapist is the one with the knowledge and the client is coming mm-hmm. to the knowledge so they can get themselves out of the situation because i know you're a systemic uh, therapist i know that you probably are working with the system so they bring about their 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 insights as well but i'm very interested sometimes what will happen to me as a therapist even though i'm working and helping a person to heal from their suffering the client will say something that strikes me as so insightful that I feel as if I got something <laughs> from the session. So in that case, was I the therapist, you know, like, we're, like maybe they're the therapist too, and maybe I'm the client as well. And so that's why the book plays a lot in terms of the importance of uh, community, the importance of people helping each other, but ultimately that if we cultivate our skills, when we cultivate our strengths, using the principles of Black meditation, using the processes that are in racial trauma recovery, using the drive and the force that's from anti-racist psychotherapy, then maybe we can change the world. Nothing else exists in isolation. Mm-hmm. And that hierarchy is part of the parts that support the supremacy movement, that there has to be a hierarchy. Or yes. that hierarchy always has to be flowing downward as opposed to two ways. Yeah, yeah. And again, that that type of hierarchy, once again, I feel is insecurity. Mm-hmm. I feel that, um, you know, it's just, it's to protect something, is to make it so that it's limited because there's a fear and there oftentimes this does happen with uh, different professions as well as that there are mm-hmm. battles between who's allowed to practice who's allowed to diagnose who's allowed to do who's allowed to to um use this form of assessment versus this one or you know there's uh, who can go to this or, type of training instead of this type of training there's always uh, these things are like in our field they're very deep in there mm-hmm. or the difference between a therapist and a coach though yeah yeah exactly exactly and so um because i i started off as an artist um i like to kind of uh well i was never really good at you're talking about dyslexia for me i I was never really good at um at coloring in the lions Mm -hmm. (laughs) i've never been really good at being able to stay in one one way of being and i think that uh, that that doesn't mean that we're broken. I think that it means that we're perfectly fine the way how we are like that. No, it means we process information differently and we'll have a different perspective. Even going back to your first book, which was talking about the differences in perspective uh, 
of viewing a situation who might not be seeing something that someone else is. And look out, there's a train coming. No, there's not a train coming. Yes, there's a train coming. <laughs> You're making me think, um, uh, when I was in uh, computer science, I was just speaking to one of my friends about this last week, is that uh, one of my teachers at the time, he knew that I was just thinking differently about computers and stuff. So he gave me this book. Uh, it was about epistemology. And back mm -hmm. then, I didn't even know how to spell it. I didn't even understand what I, I, I was like a teenager. I was like, why is it that he's giving me this? But I was so fascinated with the idea that if it's like the way how we acquire knowledge can be different and it can be debatable. Mm -hmm. And so one person might see that there's a train that's that's coming. And maybe that's due to their own programming. And, uh, you know, for another person, it can be, I don't know, for another person, it could be an opportunity. For another mm -hmm. person, it can be that the train is coming because we need to go on the train to go to our destination. Another person could say the train is coming, so it's scary because of their trauma response. And I've just been fascinated in that. And I think that it's that flexibility that allows people to heal and to recover. When a person is uh, is healed, or feels a bit better about themselves, and then they think about their traumatic memory, uh, they change the memory. Because now they're not thinking about the memory from a place of suffering. So if you're feeling completely awesome and you think about it, something's different now. And that's kind of what underlies uh, change. And so in mm -hmm. even in the book, in Black Mountain, um, I wanted to just make sure that it was like nothing I've ever read by integrating things that I've written and also by integrating like my like influences that I have as well and I made one of the characters speak Jamaican Patois because I didn't mention that I'm also, mm -hmm. I told you I'm still answering your first question of, of who I yeah. am <laughs> well so, yeah. there's that secular nature of it yes. the first question is still the question that is current even at the end yes 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 so um, even in this book and developing it I, I knew I wanted to make different voices for each character. And one of my favorite characters in it is Nanny Maroon. That's her name. Mm -hmm. And she's uh she's she speaks with Jamaican Patois because again, humans are have been destroyed for a long time, but they still have access to literature that has been like uh, reconstructed due to radio waves that have been shot out and sound waves that have been shot out from humans and other civilizations before their civilizations were completely destroyed. So she still was able to learn the Patois. And uh, what's fun for me is that I had to ask my mother, because I'm not a fluent Patois, Jamaican Patois speaker, but my mother is. So it's like I had an Excel spreadsheet with my mom and I'm like, mom, how do I say this in actual Jamaican? And she's like, no, man, you're not saying it properly. You got to say it like this. No, don't use this. This is the way how we do it. So it's a lot of fun to try to make it so that my mother's voice would continue in this book. And this is a book, I don't know if my mother's even interested in science fiction, but she felt it was a lot of fun to try to get a character in a book to cuss at people in Jamaican Patois. <laughs> So well, it makes, yeah, yeah, it makes me think of uh, Nilo Hopkins' book, um, uh, Midnight Robber, and the mention of Granny Nanny, which was the computer system in that book, and that mm -hmm. it had reached the point where, I mean, there's some 
we'll talk about that afterwards. Um, but there's sure. the, the computer system had gone to the point where it's no longer speaking. It was actually just creating musical tones, which can 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 contain the programming. Mm-hmm. So that's deep, man. That is deep. And, yeah. you know, like, I would definitely have to read that book. I definitely, because I have so many questions about that. But I think that to some degree, and I don't know if this is what the author was aiming for, but I feel in some ways, even music can be more effective at communication than uh, words. Because mm -hmm. the music, you're going to hear it and feel it. And like, words, and it doesn't. Like, well, words don't fall prey to the aspect of their definitions changing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I know that's the big one I talk about with couples is where, what are you defining your word, the things you're discussing by the correctly, because otherwise you're talking about two different things and not realizing it, even if you're using the same word. 100%. And this is, although it does cause conflict in our couples, it also is an opportunity to change things as well, because it comes back to what I was saying as well is what happens if we change the definition of black? What happens if mm -hmm. we are no longer so the oppressed black or someone else's black, or as uh, um, uh, James Baldwin was, uh, not my Negro is the name of uh, right. that that's over there. What if, what if you're your own Negro? What if you're your own black person? That's what black meditation is about as well, is what if we can change the way how we see ourselves and if we can love ourselves because of who we are. And it's not that the, like, you know, like what happens if the trauma survivor, the trauma still happened to them, but they no longer identify with the trauma anymore or they identify which, with it differently. Which is post-traumatic growth. You got which it. Which is shifting accountability from punitive to love. 100%. And with all of these books that we're talking about, with all of the work that you're talking about with your clients, I don't think we can do this type of thing without love. I think that mm -hmm. love is what underlies all of it. It's a, a love for humanity and a love for um, uh, the infinite possibilities that are out there. And I've tried uh, to, like recently, I started to think, how do I just create more gratitude in the world? Like, how do I just create more experiences of clients feeling grateful, me feeling grateful, and my son feeling grateful? And since I've been doing that, um, this has brought up a lot more smiles uh, in my day to day. Something says, I think you have your fifth book in that. <laughs> well, you know, my fifth book, to tell you the truth, I'm thinking <laughs> about um, uh, inter interracial uh, couple counseling and relational systems. That's a very good one, a very big one. That's a big one for growth. I mean, my partner is white as well, so mm -hmm. it's yeah, there are definitely moments about. There's definitely moments about what's going on between us, and when we're out in social, or even when as an LGBT man, I'm still getting hit on. Occasionally, get hit on by other people, and it's like, are you mm -hmm. coming to me for the right reasons, or you're just satisfying the fetish? And it's like, mm, gotta walk carefully with that Ex yes because you see we didn't even talk about the intersections of race and all. look as i said there's a thousand podcasts in this conversation <laughs> i guess we're gonna have to have a part two at some point of course of course of course if you'd like you know read a bit of the book 
and then let me know if we could come back because it seems you you are very well read and like uh an intellectual so i'd like to hear your perspectives on on these things and if there's any other topics you'd like for me to speak about you just let me know it's a, it's a pleasure talking to you oh i think we're definitely going to be doing that and you know i think that's probably a good place for us to wrap up yeah uh, so if <laughs> want to get more more of the books or work with you where can they find that information yes so you can so again my name is david archer and you can find this information on archertherapy.com a-r-c-h-e-r-t-h-e-r-a-p-y.com um, and also, if you don't mind buying books from billionaires who fly rocket ships and stuff, you can find my books on Amazon. And you can search for, again, the book is Anti-Racist Psychotherapy, Confronting Systemic Racism and Healing Racial Trauma, Black Meditation, 10 Practices. Uh, I should know this. 10 Practices for Self-Care, Compassion. No, that's the wrong title. <laughs> 10 Practices for Self-Care, Mindfulness, and Self-Determination. And then mm-hmm. Racial Trauma Recovery, Healing Our Past Using Rhythm and Processing. And then the fourth science fiction novel, Black Mountain Fight for the Future. Um, you can get them on Amazon or go on my website. There's a list of Black uh, bookstores that you can get them from. Support our Black bookstores. They make it possible to hear from Black authors like myself. And we just need to continue that, uh, you know, just that, I, I want to say that uh, that ritual, but also that tradition of each person teaching one another. So, um, mm-hmm. and to anyone hearing this, thank you for taking the time to to listen, and also to remember that you're you're beautiful because of who you are. So you're black because you're beautiful. You're beautiful because you're black. And regardless of how you identify yourself, I hope you have a wonderful day. And I'm also going to throw in this aspect of that when this uh, airs, it's probably going to be the end of November. So everyone's going to be starting to shop for their Christmas presents. Or if not, let's consider Black Meditations as your Kwanzaa gift. There we go. So just think about that, folks. That's it, man. So, David, thank you again for being here. And uh, we're going to have a part two. uh, It's once I've had a chance to go through some of these other books. Uh, Fantastic. And until then, you take care. And for everyone out there, I hope you take care. And yeah, let's practice some accountability with love. There we go. Many blessings. Take care. Stay tuned, folks. We'll be back for more. And have a good one here on Untying Knots, Minds and Souls and Tethered. I'm Perry Clark, licensed marriage and family therapist. And we've just been talking with David Archer, master social worker and MFT and off. Till then. Thank you for tuning in for Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. Be sure to join your host, Perry Clark, for another episode on the podcast coming soon on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 